The Stur Valley is considered to be a quintessential English landscape with rolling farmland, ancient woodland, meadows, hedgerows and the meandering river Stur which creates a natural border between Suffolk and Essex at the heart of the valley. The open landscape here provides a home for over 1,500 plant species, 175 bird species and almost a thousand moth species. The Stur Valley has a network of designated wildlife sites and protected areas, including several sites of special scientific interest, as well as the Dedham Vale Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty, all of which support several wildlife conservation initiatives. I'm Adrian Walters. I work for the Sudbury Common Lands Charity. I worked as ranger for the past 30 years. I'm semi-retired. <coughs> carrying on with the clerical work, but as you see, I'm still out and about on the beautiful Sudbury Riverside. We're in an area where we're promoting nature conservation, we're, we're working for it. Uh, just look at, look at this bit of countryside, it's, it's fantastic. Look at the valley trail that we're standing on now. Look at all the fruits, the berries, the, the ivy flowers, you know, it's a cornucopia of food for wildlife. I'm Sam, uh, I'm the assistant ranger for the Sudbury Common Lands Charity. Uh, we manage uh, areas of, of land, predominantly water meadows around uh, Sudbury, uh, but also some amenity land and great cornard. And uh, really, yeah, it's, it's balancing that, that management for, for amenity land, to, for the public to enjoy, to, uh, to, to managing it for wildlife as well. So look after the river, um, the water meadows and, and areas of woodland as well. So, I mean on the, the water meadows you, you often see um, the little egrets um, walking around as well as kestrels hovering over the ditches on the, on the lookout for food. And then within those ditches uh, in terms of plant life there's tubular water drop work which uh, um, biodiversity action plan priority species and that's something that, that flourishes here in the wet ditches uh, and then along the valley trail you have a range of uh, wildflowers harebell uh, lesser calamint which smells absolutely fantastic to be honest the Sudbury riverside is the place to come simply because in a way it is still an arcadian landscape the, the Sudbury common lands and the riverside never been ploughed up you know, it's grassland, it's been grassland for centuries, possibly thousands of years. We have the history, we have the written history. So it has pedigree and with that come, comes the wildlife, uh, the flora and the fauna. I was just told this morning <coughs> that recently there was a marsh harrier uh, just further along the trail and also little owl. So, you know, it's, there is still a range of interesting wildlife to be seen and heard by those who are tuned in. Flora-wise, we're standing next to this rather interesting, unusual fenced-off area. People say, well, what's, what's in there? That's one of Britain's rarest plants growing in there, and it's one of Britain's fastest declining plants. It's the Deptford Pink. And when we finish the recording, I'll show you because it, we've still got one or two flowers, surprisingly. Flowers in July, but it carries on sporadically. I've even seen it flowering at Christmas time. I'm Will Acast, I uh, work for the Environment Agency, based here in our Ipswich office. 
I'm part of a team working to try and improve river habitats and water quality um, to meet particular um, targets. So what we try and do is do river restoration projects with a range of partners. So we, we, we can't do this stuff on our own. We work with a lot of different partners and we are looking to work with landowners and land managers to improve water quality in, in rivers. I mean, what is brilliant about working now that there are so many people who are really passionate about, about rivers, you know, whether it's people who are involved in a rivers trust or people who you know, live next to a river or farm next to a river, you know, their knowledge of the river is huge. So we're always learning from, from people who've lived by the, these rivers for years and years and years. You know, we're always finding new information, we're always discovering new things. You know, some people would like to see a lot more navigation on, on rivers, some people would like to see rivers dredge from top to bottom, other people are passionate, other people are passionate about the wildlife, other people are trying to obviously farm and grow crops you know, near, near rivers, other people take inspiration from you know, historic landscape and cultural landscape, and obviously people like to access rivers for recreation, whether it's angling or wild swimming, canoeing, kayaking and that, that kind of stuff, bird watching. My name's Rick, I'm the site manager for the RSPB here, um, so our property starts at Cattlewade Marshes, which is kind of a mile and a half, two miles to the west of where we're sat, um, and then our, our kind of sphere of influence is kind of peters out a bit more towards Dedham, if you like, for want of better words. Where we went when we were on lockdown, we went and walked places that we would never have chosen to walk normally, and that meant that we were in little tiny bits, fragments of what's called ancient woodland um, and some of the really old habitats. So we, we walked through tiny little river valleys, tributaries of the River Stour, tributaries um, of other sort of more bigger streams and, and, and sort of channels, you know, near East Bergholt. And in that area, there's some really good bluebell woods. The bluebells and all the other species of plant that grow there find it really hard to grow outside of those woods yeah so um that you know there's other things there's butcher's broom for instance some trees maybe um you know crab apple trees wood anemones things like that, that that are all part of that that kind of list of ancient woodland plant species you know you see those plants and you know that you're in a place that's not been touched by a, a plow or not been um, changed much in, in tens of thousands of years since the last ice age. The other really amazing thing about the, the Dedham Vale, particularly Flatford and, and heading um, in that kind of around that area, there's lots of really, really good hedgerows um, and little bits of woodland, little bits of scrub, bramble. And, you know, in the spring, you can hear nightingales singing occasionally. To hear one in this part of the world is really good and, and you might be even more lucky. Certainly um, in, in, in the, the project area that we're talking about today, there's areas where there's turtle doves as well. Um, they breed in really dense kind of scrubby hedgerow. Hi, I'm Alex Moore-Dalluz. I'm the Nature Recovery Officer for the Dedham Vale AOMB and Suffolk Coast and Heaths AOMB. So just going to tell you a little bit about some of the things that you can do recreationally in the in the Stewart Valley. Um, we're down at um, Cataway picnic site at the moment and this is a really good portage point. Um, there's some canoeists in the background at the moment actually and you can come and um, 
paddle way up your way up to to Flatford or go a bit further up up into Dedham. This is a, a place that you can come and fish as well. So you know it gets you get busier to, uh, over the weekend. It's quieter th throughout the week. So it's it's a really good place to to come and enjoy the river at your own pace. And it's a really good location for seeing wildlife as well. I mean, you're if you go out on the river, there'll be some common things that you'll almost certainly see you know you'll see more hens and, and mute swans but if you if you paddle up towards Flatford you may get some rarer species I mean um, things like marsh harrier can be seen uh, um, flying over because it backs onto the RSPB's Catawade Marshes um, nature reserve. Um, there's an RSPB reserve called Catawade Marshes which is a couple of miles to the west of here which is uh, one of the best sites in England, I'll probably I hesitate to say the UK but one of the best sites in England for breeding wading birds. So that's lapwings, red shanks, oyster catchers and we now get avocets there and there's one or two other species as well that you know they're in very low numbers so we, we in a really good year we get about 110 pairs of breeding waders which is for the size of the site is absolutely awesome. Hi I'm uh, Claire and I'm an assistant warden for the RSPB at the Stour Estuary and I help to look after Stourwoods up in Rabness, Wolveswood in Hadley and also Cutaway Marshes which is a manning tree. I um, do a lot of the practical conservation work um, on the reserves so I um, go out with volunteers a couple of days a week um, doing all the habitat management work to get the reserves into um, good condition for um, wildlife and um, birds and wildlife to um, flourish in it. Wolveswood is uh, near to Hadley um, so that's um, yeah, not, not too far from Ipswich really and it's a lovely ancient woodland site. Um, during the spring, you have all the wildflower displays. So there's lots of wildflowers within the sunny rides in the open areas. Um, you have the breeding birds throughout the, um, throughout the spring as well. So if you're lucky, you might hear a nightingale. Um, you'll also get all the, all the tits. So great tits, blue tits, um, marsh tits. Um, sort of a, an array of woodland bird species really, tree creepers, nut hatches. Um, a lot of the time when you're getting into summer, the, because the leaves come out on the trees, you'll probably be more likely to hear the birds rather than to see them. So it's one of those places that you'll, you, know, you might go, oh well I've not seen any birds, but actually if you stop and listen, you'll hear them because they'll be up in the canopy or you know, around and about, but you probably just won't be able to see them because of the leaves on the trees. From May onwards, uh, you'll see the, the herds of cattle, the, the meadows that we have here. So you've got Freeman's and Fulling Pit with the, the floodgate. There's, there's one herd there. On King's Marsh and Coots, there's a, another, another herd there. Um, and then on North Meadow Common, where they're on the south side is a, is a pond that's completely open for them and uh, you see them grazing around there, getting into spring and summer when you have the um, swallows, house martins, um, swifts, all congregating around that uh, watering hole. Um, it's, it's a lovely, lovely sight to see. And then during the summer as well, we've had um, barn owls kind of successfully breeding on a few of the sites that we've managed here. And, you can often see them quartering across uh, the, the meadows 
obviously on the hunt for voles and, and other kind of um, food for their, for their young. Stirwoods, um, again, it's, it's a similar sort of, it's, a, it's ancient woodland again, but um, there's a lot of sweet chestnut in it because it, historically, um, back in Roman times, the, sweet, the Romans planted sweet chestnuts because it was good wood for, you know, good straight wood for building ships and buildings and all that sort of thing. You'll get a lot of tits, you'll get, you know, tree creepers, nut hatches, blackbirds, thrushes, you know, all, all, you know, a kind of mix of birds. Spring flowers in Stillwood are amazing, so you'll get huge carpets of wood anemones across the, um, across the, across the woodland floor. So it's like a sea of white, it looks really beautiful. Once they've died down, then you'll get you know, parts of the woods in Copperus, if you walk over to Copperus Woods, which is still part of the RSPB reserve, you'll get, um, loads, there's a lot of bluebells down there, so you'll get the bluebells coming up then. And then later on in the summer, the rosebow willow herb comes up and that's all really pretty pink stuff. So you get a real mixture of nice, nice, nice flowers throughout the year. Um, come the autumn, again, fungi are the things to be looking for. So you'll get, like fly agaric. We've had some lovely magpie ink, ink caps this year, which have been really nice. Um, and and also a, a huge array of different sorts of fungi. During the summer months, it's very good for dragonflies and damselflies. So you have a lot of lot of different dragonflies and also a lot of butterflies as well during the summer. So last year in Wolveswood, we had purple emperor, we had uh, white admirals. I'm Mark Prina. I work for a charity called Arosha UK here at Fox Earth Meadows and the mission of Arosha UK now is to mobilise Christians to care for the natural environment. But nobody would argue surely that, that we don't need to care about the place where we live. And we're managing this small floodplain meadow on the River Stour, it's only 12 acres but we're trying to maximise the wetland and grassland species and their abundance on this site. But actually it's a wonderful place to come. And we really want to engage people with nature so that we don't feel separate from it. But those ponds, we do manage and we try and maintain the water levels uh, for breeding dragonflies and damselflies, which has always been the focus of the con conservation efforts here. And it is one of the best sites in East Anglia. It's, uh, for its size, uh, we do very well. We've got 23 species of dragonflies and damselflies recorded on this site, including um, one or two fairly unusual species uh, such as Norfolk Hawker actually turned up. We don't know what the status of that is but it was seen here about a year ago and we've also had uh, one recording of variable damselfly as well. A lot of people come here who are interested in that species group. Anybody is welcome to come to this site. Uh, there is a couple of footpaths crossing it which keep it open anyway, but we've gone further than that. And you can do a partial perimeter walk of the site as well, linking up with the boardwalk, which was put in in 2018 in a partnership with Essex County Council along the footpath route across the marsh. 
So you can have a good walk around the wetland part of the reserve and then you can take in the river as well. So there's a maintained footpath that people are welcome to use along the River Stour itself. And the River Stour at this point is almost totally unmanaged in a, in a perfectly natural state. There's a rich um, variety of good wetland plant areas in, on the site. We've got a reed bed as well, which is uh, extending itself as over time, which is a great habitat for summer visitors. So in the reed bed, you'll find uh, reed warbler, sedge warbler, reed bunting, and through the, the other taller wetland areas as well, those three species can be encountered. Um, everywhere we've got wrens, and so there's lots of common species as well, but those summer visitors are great. We've got um, probably eight, eight species of warblers that we've recorded on site. Probably the most common of, the, um, of those is uh, common whitethroat. If, you, uh, if you're lucky enough on the river, you will find evidence of otter, and quite a few people have actually seen um, that iconic species as well on some of the larger ponds and on the river. Another favourite is kingfisher. They're so regularly seen, it's been really heartening, but, but I can actually say to people when they come on site, you've got a good chance of seeing a kingfisher, and I'm not lying to them. Uh, all you've got to do is listen out for the um, high-pitched piping call of that bird, watch for a while, and you might well be lucky enough to see that flash of iridescent blue and red. Lots of really good insects as well. So the river stir, the freshwater river stir, is absolutely brilliant for dragonflies and damselflies. Some people choose to come by kayak, um, as long as you've got a license, I must hasten to add. Um, and if you did, then in the middle of summer, so from kind of early June onwards, you, you could see banded demoiselles, and they are just iridescent blue. They're absolutely fantastic. If you know how blue the kingfisher is, use that colour but then put it onto a damselfly and then the wings are kind of half see-through and half dark so when they're flying it looks like they're if you see lots of them it looks like they're in slow motion it's, it's just magical to watch and on the stir I've seen literally thousands of them hundreds in groups and then over sort of five ten miles of kayaking you'll find that there's thousands of these things and um, we also get um, a dragonfly species which is not very well named it's called the scarce chaser um, and it's it's probably the most common um, the most common um, dragonfly species on the river and they're, they're again they're quite blue uh, or the males are quite blue it's definitely worth having a look in the water as you're paddling and then you can see lots of different types of fish um, keep an eye out for pike roach and and, and perch and also some of the birds that are around on the fringes looking out for, for fish and amphibians like grey herons and little egrets as well that are, are, in, are increasing here. You could catch a glimpse of, of, of an otter. Otters have made a resurgence in, in the last 10-15 years or so and they are doing a lot better than, than they used to be which is great news um, but they are very difficult to spot and again the, the signs of otters are, are easier to see than the otters than themselves so you'll often find um, their sprints they'll put them on quite a, a noticeable spot like on, on a tree stump um, and you can see the runs that otters make through the vegetation 
to get to the river. But there are locations further upstream where otters are regularly spotted um, up near Ballingdon Bridge in, in Sudbury is, is a good example of that. You know, coming into winter, um, again, you'll see lots of like mixed flocks of uh, tits because they all sort of flock together for warmth during the winter. And you'll probably see the birds more than you would in the summer because obviously the leaves are off the trees. You might be lucky and spot something like a woodcock, which is their ground-based birds. But, you know, if you're walking on a path, you might just, there might be one that just sort of pops out. And they're really beautiful birds to see as well. In Wolveswood we, we have nightingale and also in Stewartwood we do have nightingale breeding there as well. Um, we get um, lots of um, tits, so great tits, blue tits, long-tailed tits, marsh tits as well in Wolveswood, um, which are fairly, um, a, a, you know, fairly rare species. Um, we also manage for dormice, so both the woods have dormice in, in them. And these are like, they're actually a protected species, so they're really important to look after because they're quite, um, they're becoming quite rare. So what we do is they don't like coming down onto the little paths. They like to stay up in the higher, higher bits of the trees and the hazel. So when we're cutting the rides back, we make sure that we leave little bits where they can get over the path. So we, it's called a dormouse corridor. So we leave that so they can get from one side to the other without having to come down onto the ground. And that means it's you know good habitat for them. And we also make sure that there's nice sort of brambly areas, which is where they like to um, where they like to hang out in. We um, let water in in the winter, so it becomes very wet and that really benefits all the wintering wildfowl so you get lots of um, different ducks so like widgeon and teal and things like that um, come to come to um, spend time on on the on the marsh the woodlands um, border onto the estuary so it's quite unique in terms of woodland in the uk because there's not much woodland that actually comes right down to down to the water anymore so that's quite a a unique thing um, and if you walk down to the estuary in the winter you'll get a lot of um, you know, there's a huge amount of wintering birds um, that use the salt marsh and use use the estuary um, during the winter so you get lots of um, so it's internationally important for pintail things like pintail um, you get lots of knot lots of dunlin um, curlew um, during the autumn time when it's sort of passage migration so when the birds are on their way from their breeding sites back to their um, back to their wintering sites you'll get things like wimbrel and green shank and things popping in on their way on the way down on the stir estuary we get a really fantastic species of wader called the black-tailed godwit um, and we can see those flying uh, in the afternoon in particular up to Nayland and, and beyond quite often um, and where they then um, spend all day feeding in these wet fields so they're just like estuary mud and then in the afternoon four o'clock-ish three o'clock-ish they'll come back to the estuary and that's where they roost that's their commute if you like it's just like somebody who lives in I don't know let's say Manningtree who's 
getting in their car, driving down the A12, working in London, coming home again. You know, it's exactly the same as that. And, and it's just nice to watch. And by watching it, then hopefully families in particular, the children will start to understand more about the daily kind of routines that these, these living creatures have. I'm Shirley Sampson. I'm the warden of the wildlife garden here at Flatford, uh, just down the road from Eastburg Holt in South Suffolk. And uh, the wildlife garden here, we've been running it for about 10 years now, and our aim is to show people and hopefully inspire them with some ideas that they can take back to their own gardens to, uh, to be able to share the garden with, uh, with wildlife. So we built the garden in, uh, sort of we started in January 2011 um, and we opened that year in March as a work in progress. We, we probably weren't um, really finished until June if, if a garden is ever finished. Um, and then the following year we, we built the barn which is, acts as a small visitor centre. Uh, so we've been going for almost 10 years now. The garden is open uh, every year between uh, roughly Easter and the end of the autumn half term. And uh, we're open seven days a week. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's not a terrifically big site for the RSPB. It's quite an unusual reserve. Uh, it's only about a third of a hectare. Our kind of reason for being here is, is to uh, teach and inspire people with ideas that they can take home to their own gardens. Uh, if you think, uh, you know, this, this is only a third of a hectare. Um, so, uh, you know, individually, what difference can one garden make? But if, if we can inspire every one of those 40 or 50 or 60,000 visitors that we have every year to just take one little idea home to their garden, and wildlife doesn't really care whether it's your garden or your neighbor's garden. They don't worry about fences and that sort of thing. It's just good habitat, potentially. A wildlife garden doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a mess of brambles and nettles. It can still be a lovely space for people to enjoy as well. And, uh, and that's what we aim to do here, is to show people how. We do see some lovely birds, nevertheless, in the garden, particularly this time of year when it's a bit quieter down here. We have quite a few of the winter migrants, so um, we'll often have siskins up in the trees, up in the older trees, eating the seeds. Uh, we frequently hear field fairs um, overhead, missile thrushes. Uh, so the field fairs over winter, they come down from Scandinavia um, because the weather's nicer here, apparently. <laughs> and, um, and they're fruit-eating thrushes, really. So uh, they'll be coming down raiding our, our hawthorn hedges and, and our crab apple trees and that kind of thing. Um, I have seen some great birds in the garden here over the years, uh, you know, things you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in a garden, but that's just down to our particular location. Uh, I remember seeing a pair of kingfishers flying through the garden scrapping once, which was amazing. Um, and also we have kestrels out in the water meadows um, out the back where they obviously hunt little rodents in the long grass. Uh, there's a pair of kestrels that seem to be fairly resident. Um, there are always tree creepers in the big trees just to the south of the garden. Well, top tips for visitors, of course, come and enjoy, drink it in. It's a superb place to come to, but leave nothing behind. Leave no trace is really a, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. So if you bring things with you, if you bring a picnic or if you, you know, bring a drink to have with you, take it home with you, you know, put it in your car, pop it in your bin when you get back home. Like it's not only unsightly, but it can cause like a lot of injury to wildlife or damage to the environment. So if you've got a dog, 
when when you're walking through sort of sensitive areas make sure that it's on a lead or under close control because um, wildlife can be startled by a dog quite easily have a look at the signage when you come to somewhere because some places will say you know no dogs allowed and there's often a reason for that it's because there is sensitive wildlife in that area so have a look at the signs and then think oh okay well perhaps I'll go somewhere else instead with with my dog again with dogs is making sure that you, you pick up their, their mess uh, because with with cattle in particular uh, there's a as a, a disease called neospirosis, which is something that can be transmitted through them eating uh, dog feces. Um, so, by picking up your dog waste, it's, it's the largest cause of uh, abortion in, in uh, cattle. So, uh, just to, to make sure that that they do clean up after them, and as individuals to clean up after yourself where you can. The rough is going on. Here. <laughs> and there they go. We've also had some some problems um, this year with wildlife being being disturbed uh, to get particularly good photos or uh, so on. So it's about really photographing. I think what what you see, not provoking it into a reaction. Um, to see what different shots you can get so it's it's just about you know respecting the wildlife and and the surroundings parking in front of gates that would be if you can make sure you leave access if the gates there it's probably there for a reason and also along you know along country lanes and that as well think about where you're parking because you know people have to get through you know farmers have to get through with their tractors if there was an emergency people need to get through as well you know and also you know when when you're walking with gates you should leave a gate as you found it so you know if it's closed close it it's been great working with mark and all his expertise and other volunteers like jerry and others who come along here give their time and uh, trying to make it just a a good place for for nature um good good place for for people to come to find peace and uh, and uh, understand more about the world that uh, we have to look after. Um, this time last year, uh, a dragonfly was just a dragonfly to me, but uh, I now know <laughs> quite a few species thanks to some good teachers, and uh, I get really excited to see them now and try and identify them and understand more about their amazing life cycle. For me personally, I, although this is a nature reserve and I manage a nature reserve, I'm actually not a great fan of the nature reserve concept because I think that we are too willing to accept that we can have a network of small museums for our wildlife and, and that goes against my philosophy. Um, I think nature should be where people are and I don't think there's any reason why it shouldn't be. So many people these days are quite detached from nature or, you know, in the worst case scenario, they just think that nature doesn't apply to them somehow. Um, but if we can get them actually just open their eyes and think, that's beautiful. I've really enjoyed watching that butterfly on that verbena or whatever. Maybe there's something else I can do. You know, and what we hope is that that's a first step. And if then they can start to 
enjoy the wildlife that's in their garden and outside their kitchen window. Hopefully that'll open their eyes to the beauty of nature in a wider sense. And, and that's kind of my dream, really. If, if we can get people loving nature again through um, something as relatable as their own garden, you know, what's happening outside their back door, um, as a first step, because I think as a species we've drifted so far away from, um, from nature and we've, we've kind of forgotten that we're part of this ecosystem. You know, we can't exist without it. Uh, so there's no point thinking it doesn't, you know, it doesn't apply to you because it does. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, it's, it's so full of wonder and magic and mystery and, you know, why wouldn't you want to have it as part of your life? You know, a love of nature and a love of the outdoors. In this film, we've explored just some of the places in the Stur Valley where visitors can come to experience nature and get close to wildlife. For more information about visiting these places, as well as other nature reserves, country parks and woodlands, please go to www.deadandvalesturvalley.org forward slash visiting, where you can view and download our Nature in the Stur Valley leaflet guide.